Um, this morning, we are continuing a series we've been working our way through this summer that we are calling Squad Goals. And uh, in this series, we're spending some time looking at uh, the one another statements of the New Testament. And if that language is new to you, again, it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. In the Bible, there are about 59 one another statements, statements that uh, tell us how we ought to engage, how we ought to relate to, how we ought to treat one another. 59 rules of engagement given by God to his big family called the church, through which God says, here's how I want you all to interact with each other. Here's how I want you to treat each other. And if you treat each other this way, at least two things are going to start to happen. One is it's going to put my brilliance on display in the heavenly realms and on earth. When the angelic beings and other people look at the way you interact with each other this way, they will say squad goals. We want our relationships to look like that. And whoever is responsible for those people must be awesome to the glory of God. But not just for the glory of God, but for our good. Not just for the brilliance of God, but for our best. God understands that if we interact with each other the way he prescribes, we are going to find ourselves becoming more and more of who he's called and created us to be. Not just spiritually, but even physically, we'll find ourselves healthier because we interact with each other in the ways he calls us to. So we've looked at a number of these one another's over the course of the last number of weeks. If you've missed any of them, would encourage you free of charge, go to YouTube, um, go to um, our website, and you can catch up um, with where we've been. But this morning, we're going to continue uh, our series by looking at what I consider to be the single most difficult of all the one another's in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever opened this book and read something... That made you say, yeah, no, 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 I don't think so. Um, I was good with this book until I read that. Uh, In my opinion, that's what the one another we are going to look at today does. At least it did for me. You can make your own assessment. It might be a walk in the park for you. But as far as I'm concerned, the most challenging of all the one another's. And it's tucked away. In the book of James, James chapter 5. And so we're going to spend some time looking at the broader context in which this one another is tucked. And uh, if you have a copy of the Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. James chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 13. Or we'll have the verses up here on the screen if you don't have a copy here with you. James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. I'm going to read this uh, section of scripture to us. Here's what it says. James 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise, which is just prayer of praise with music. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And 
the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain. The earth produced its crops. Such a powerful section of scripture, which I think in so many ways invites us to experience the power of prayer. Because I don't know if you've heard, but there is power in prayer. Um, there is a power in prayer that I think we as God's people way too infrequently dial into and experience. And in this passage, James is saying, hey, get in on the power of prayer. Get in on the power of prayer. And the way he does it is in this escalating way, if you trace this passage a little bit. He starts in verse 13 by kind of talking about the everyday life stuff. Um, are you experiencing trouble? Um, are you experiencing some of the harsher tones of life? Are you going through things that are making you say like, I don't like this. James would say, well, pray. Uh, are you happy? Are, are you experiencing maybe the happier notes of life where you are saying like, my life is so lit right now. He would say, then pray. These songs of praise, this is just another way of praying, telling God, thank you uh, for what you are doing in my life. Uh, James is in essence saying, hey, pray life. Pray life. When you become aware that you're feeling troubled, pray. When you become aware that you're feeling happy, pray. In trouble, pray. Help. In happy, pray. Thanks. But whatever extreme of your every day you're experiencing, he says, pray, pray, pray. No matter what end of the spectrum, God wants to be invited into it. Being a people who experience the power of prayer starts with being a people who just pray the everyday life stuff. The power of prayer doesn't start with the extremes. No, the power of prayer starts with just the, the everyday stuff. Like someone annoyed you in traffic, maybe because you weren't prepared and now you're running late. So they're committing the crime of driving a speed limit in front of you and you're super annoyed. And James would be like, hey, are you troubled? Pray. Pray. Um, it's just the, the, the everyday things of life. Someone didn't like your post. On social media. And that actually bothered you. Do you know that James would say. Like tell God about that. Pray about it. He actually wants to hear about this. Or maybe you're celebrating. Like your, your, your 10 year old. Like went pee pee. In the party this time. And you're like. 
Praise you, Jesus. He would say, well, pray about that too. Praise God about all the little small things. If you feel something in your everyday life, James would say, pray about it. Don't let anyone ever tell you there is anything in your everyday that's too small or too insignificant for God. If it makes you laugh, he wants to know. If it makes you cry, he wants in on it. If it brings you just blah. He wants to know that too. God loves it when we pray life. Don't keep him out of anything. He sees it anyway, but he loves it when we say it anyway. But again, if if you watch the the progression of this passage, it escalates, it intensifies. It, It goes from talking about the regular rhythm of everyday life. To those extreme moments when our life is invaded by an unexpected storm. He's talking about those moments when when darkness just closes in and leaves us feeling broken and powerless. He goes from the everyday to the extreme. At the beginning of verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? The word he uses for sick is a word that means weak or powerless. He's not talking about those things in in your everyday life that you'd say like, man, that feels a little harsh. He's not talking about those things like, you know, I feel kind of happy today. He's talking about the things in your life that feel impossible. Possible. They have broken into your world and they have rendered you powerless. There is nothing you can do to fix it or make it better. And you have tried. This is what he's talking about when he uses this word sick. He's not talking about that cold that you can sleep off and you feel better. He's not talking about a headache that you can kind of pop a pill for. He's not talking about those things that you can do something about. He is talking about that experience when the world leaves you flat on the ground saying, I can't fix this and I've tried. He's talking about when your body has an issue that nothing can fix. Sick. He's talking about powerlessness. Here, When that relationship is wounded beyond any perceived ability to fix it, it's sick. This is what he is talking about. When that habit is destroying your life and it's destroying your relationships and you can't just wake up tomorrow and decide like, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. No, it has you powerless. Sick. This is what he's talking about. The storm that you cannot calm. He is talking about the obstacle you cannot move. He's intensified from the everyday to the extreme, but you notice he hasn't changed the solution. The solution is exactly the same. Give heaven a call. Pray. Has a storm come through that has rendered you powerless? James would say pray about that as well. Is there an obstacle that you just cannot move? It's impossible for you. James would say, pray about that too. The power of prayer starts in the everyday, but it doesn't stop when the extremes come. 
pray. But you notice, he doesn't just intensify the circumstances in our lives. He intensifies and escalates our prayer. I, I, I love this. As the circumstances escalate, so does the prayer. Verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. James, I believe, is inviting us to pray big. Pray big. Yeah, pray life. But when life sends storms, dial it up and pray big. Pray big. Um, step one to praying big that he suggests here, which is so awesome. He says, call reinforcements. Like make a conference call to heaven. Get some other people on this and pray together. There is power in praying with others. And here he says, invite the elders, the leaders in the church to join you in asking God to do the impossible. When life throws an impossible situation at you, dial up your prayer, invite some backups and pray together for the impossible. Yeah, invite some other people into this situation and pray to the storm shusher asking God to shush the storm and tell it to be still over your life. Invite the elders and have them pray with you that God would speak to that obstacle, that he would tell that mountain to get on up out of your way, march itself over to the sea and just jump in and maybe even drown while it's at it. Invite other people to pray with you, to pray for breakthrough in that area in which you felt stuck and there's nothing you can do to change it. Hey, call some other people together and pray. This is just an invitation to pray big for restoration of those things that seem irreparably and irreversibly broken in your life. Pray for the healing of the wounds they said could never be healed. Have some people come ratchet up and pray big. Pray for freedom from those chains that even you once thought could never be broken. When life gets impossible, he says, call for some reinforcements and pray big. Um, and I don't know about you, but I can almost hear James like just coaxing us, like almost like daring us to pray big. Like I dare you. In fact, I double dare you to pray big. When I get to verse 17, that's the tone I read. You can read whatever tone you want. Elijah, he says in verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Hey, he prayed earnestly. He prayed big that it would not rain. That's a pretty big prayer request. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. I love that. Hey, remember that guy, Elijah? Flesh and blood, right? Yeah, just like you, uh, just like me. Yeah, uh, that guy, um, Remember how he prayed that it wouldn't rain for 42 months? I remember that. Um, so, yeah, I bet you don't have the guts to pray anything that big. Double dare you. Double dog dare you. Elijah did it. He was just like us. What's stopping you from going all in and praying big prayers to God? 
And for some of us, man, we read the extreme side of what James says, and we say, I, I relate to that. Like, I'm not dealing with the harsh and the happy in the everyday. I'm dealing with the impossible storms in the extremes. I didn't walk into here nursing a, a headache that I can do something about. I came into this space dealing with something impossible that I cannot fix. There are storms that have broken in and are bearing down. There are realities sitting in my way, obscuring my joy like mountains. James would say, man, if that's you, I hope you're not meeting impossible pain with some tame prayers. He would say, pray big. Pray big. God loves to hear our everyday requests, but he loves to hear those big, audacious, daring requests. He loves it when we even bring some backup to gang up on him in his presence, in faith, a little bit. I don't know what the boldest thing you've dared to ask God for. I don't know what that is. But I suspect whatever it is, it's not big enough. Your God is a big God who loves it when we pray big. And James is trying to coax us, to convince us to pray big. There is power in prayer if we're willing to pray big. But James keeps on building on the power of prayer. And he, in essence, says, pray, pray yeses. Pray, pray some yeses. Now, again, I don't know if that's a correct spelling. I don't know if that's grammatically, um, linguistically correct. I don't know that. The teachers in the room can tell me. I don't know if it's grammatically correct, but it's theologically awesome. Um, so we, we are going with this. Pray the yeses. This, this passage goes further than, you know, just praying life and praying big. This is a call to, to pray yeses. It's telling us that there is a way to pray big prayers to a big God that yields big yeses from God. There is a way to pray to God that yields results in these impossible situations in which we may sometimes find ourselves. Because you notice Elijah didn't just pray big. Elijah got a big answer from God. God said, okay, so three and a half years, no rain. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Okay, let's do that. You notice that the elders didn't just come and pray. They got healing as a result of their prayer. And God even threw in forgiveness to boot. These weren't just big prayers because we can get in the habit of praying big prayers but never seeing big results. James is inviting us into a place where we experience the power of prayer and we experience the yeses of a big God who is saying yes to our big requests. Verse 15, right? says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Listen, God enjoys listening to all prayers at all times, but there is a kind of prayer that he enjoys responding to with big yeses. There's a kind of prayer that I believe sees mountains moved. Not always, but more often. There's a kind of prayer that I believe hears storms silenced. 
then James would invite us to pray for those yeses, to pray those yeses. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you, if I'm going to pray, I don't want to just learn the art of praying big. I want to see God break through in big ways in response to the ways in which we're praying big things in his presence. I want to see God do the impossible for his glory and for our all. And James says, yeah, cool. Well, here's how. Verse 16. Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. So that powerlessness may be dealt with, so you may be made whole. The prayer of a righteous person, he says, is powerful and effective and super yesy. Is what this means. Um, there's a version that says the prayer of a righteous person avails much. It accomplishes much. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is not where I saw this passage going. Confess your sin? What? That's not what I would have gone for. That's not what I thought would have, would, have, would have come in the midst of this conversation about the power of prayer. But apparently whatever the most powerful yesy prayer is, it thrives in an atmosphere of confession. You want to see yes. You want to see power in your prayer. James would say I'll tell you how. Confess your sins. Um, confession is, is, a legal, is a legal term. And uh, it's a term that simply means to agree with a, a standard or to agree with a, a rule. And so when a defendant is brought into the courtroom, um, the judge will tell this defendant exactly what the defendant is being accused of doing. Here is the law you are being accused of breaking. And then you ask the defendant, how do you plead? And by the way, you notice uh, that there's not a situation in which the law is vaguely communicated. It's like, no, you are accused of breaking this very specific law let me tell it to you and now let me ask you how do you plead um i've never heard a situation where a judge is like uh you are being um accused of just being generally naughty and doing some naughty things like no it's just pretty specific and then he'll ask the question how do you plead and at that point the defendant would say guilty your honor I admit it. I broke that rule. I, I did it. I agree that I was in violation of that law. That's what confession is. Confession is coming into the presence of God and having the judge of the universe, in essence, whether by his spirit or by his scripture or by his people, bring to your attention a very specific law that he laid out and you're in violation of it. 
And he asks you, how do you plead? Confession is when you stand in God's presence and you say guilty, your honor. I admit it. I agree that your standard is right and I am wrong. I acknowledge that I have violated your law. Guilty, your honor. I make no excuses. No mitigating circumstances. I'm not calling any witnesses to come and speak for me. I'm acknowledging that I broke your law. That is what confession is. Agreeing that God is right and that you, in this specific situation, are wrong. And James is saying there is a brand of prayer that leads to big yeses from God. And it's the kind of prayer that comes in an atmosphere of confession. Confess your sins, James would say, and then pray for the impossible. Confess your sins and then pray for the impossible. And James's rationale is because when you confess your sins, heaven will deem you. When you claim that you are guilty, heaven will call you righteous. It's what happens in this confession interchange and when you are deemed righteous your prayers become powerful and effective james says you want to pray with power in essence he would say then you want to pray clean pray clean pray life Pray big, pray yeses, but if you want to pray those yeses, you want to pray clean. Before you come to God to ask him to remove that obstacle that's in your life obscuring joy, ask God to remove the obstacle that's in your relationship on account of your sin. Confess your sin. Uh, Let me say a couple of things about this. Um, First of all, um, when when James uses this word um, righteous, uh, the prayer of a righteous person, um, he's not saying, he's not talking about a, a perfect person. He's not talking about a person that's got to that magical place in Christianity where you no longer sinned. Um, if you're holding out on that, let me just put you out of your misery now. That place is called heaven does not exist on earth. He's not talking about getting to this place when you, you, you no longer sin. No, righteous is not the person who, who doesn't sin. Righteous is the person who is in the habit of confessing their sins when they do. That's really key for us to note. I want to say something else about this word righteous that I think will be helpful for us uh, to, to, to get a hold of. Um, when James talks about being righteous, the prayer of a righteous person, that's the prayer that gets yeses. That's the, the prayer that affects things. That's the prayer that avails much. But when he speaks about righteousness, he's not talking about righteousness in your position before God. Um, I'll explain this really quickly, and some of you understand it, but I hope all of you embrace this. If you know Jesus, on the cross, Jesus Christ gave us his righteousness. He 
clothed us with his robe of righteousness. He covered over our sin. So now when God looks at you, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my position before him, which means I will never be punished for a single one of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. That's not what he means when he talks about righteousness. He's not speaking about positional righteousness. He's speaking more about a a functional righteousness. Uh, let me explain it this way. Um, when my wife and I fight, a couple of things are true. One, it's usually her fault. Um, she usually started it. Um, she's not here. So just believe me when I say that is, is, is true. Um, I'll confess about that later. But, but man, when we, when, when we have a, a, a tiff, um, our relationship positionally doesn't change. Like we are no less married because we are fighting. She is still as much my wife right now as she was before I said something dumb like three minutes ago. She's still my wife. I love her no less because we are beefing right now. That's not the issue. But if you're married, you know that as long as we don't resolve that tension, there is this obstacle between us that keeps us from communicating well, and it keeps us from connecting well, and it keeps us from from, from spooning well, and it keeps us from getting along well on account of this tension between us. And so what needs to happen? Well, typically what needs to happen is I need to plead guilty, your honor, And confess my crimes. And when I do, that obstacle is removed and we get to reconnect again. Our closeness is reestablished and we adopt more kids. Um, That's the way it works at our home. I don't know how it works at your place. This is what James is talking about. He's saying, listen, you are a child of God if you believed in Jesus. That's not going to change. But when you sin, there is a functional issue. And now there's an obstacle that obscures your closeness with, with God. You're not communicating like you ought to. You're not, you know, connecting the way you ought to. You're not as close as you ought to. So what needs to happen? You need to plead guilty, your honor, and confess your sin. And when you do, God removes that obstacle functionally, that relational obstacle, which allows you to reconnect again. And he's saying when you are in that connected closeness with God on account of the practice of confession, you are righteous functionally. And when that's true about you, watch out. There is power in your prayer. And I love the promise uh, accompanied um, with this in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge we did it. No defenses, no excuses. He is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll restore that relational rightness. He'll clear the path. He'll clean us afresh. And when he does, we become candidates for that yes prayer because we are now praying clean. 
And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I just confessed to God two minutes ago. Tell me your biggest prayer request because I'm about to pray for you. Make it quick because in about three minutes I'm going to need to do this all over again. The prayer of the confessed person is powerful. The prayer of the confessed person is powerful. And I'm just asking you, are you in the practice of serial confession? Are you prone to confess and acknowledge the fact that you messed up? You were wrong. No excuses, no defenses. No blaming other people that you did it. And I'm telling you, if you get into the rhythm of this practice of acknowledging God says, I'm removing obstacles and the highway between us is clear. Are you prone to admit your sin or defend yourself or ignore it and wait for it to kind of just kind of God to kind of cool off? Or just keep claiming your positional righteousness. Well, I'm righteous in Jesus. Okay? That's true positionally. But relationally, you and God haven't been close in 15 years. Positional righteousness is not the criteria for effective prayer. I'm telling you. You can be saved and praying weak prayers. On account of the practice... Of your confession. Is that your practice? But I know that this this house is full of attentive Bible scholars who read verse 16 carefully and know that we missed something pretty significant. There's a key phrase that I want us to look at as we wrap because this key phrase is actually what's tied to our series. Verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that mountains would be lifted and the impossible would be brought about and powerlessness would be made strong so that you may be healed. What? I don't know if I mentioned, by the way, This is the most difficult of the one another's. James is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You may have missed it. Praying clean means I'm not only in the habit of admitting my sin to God. I'm in the habit of admitting my sin to other Christians. Oof. Oof. Ah, listen, I'm good. I was good with God, but when you said other Christians, I was like, mm, yeah, no. No, not that. And what James is talking about is not like vague, like, hey, I just want to admit to you that I've done some naughty things. No, it's the same thing as confession. It's acknowledging the thing that I have done that goes against what God has said. And he says, now don't just tell that to God. Be in the practice of telling that to other 
people. James is saying the prayer of the righteous is the prayer of the person who regularly confesses sin to God and to others. This functional righteousness comes from admitting to God and to someone else the specific thing you have done. This is tough. This is one of the aspects of Christianity I personally struggle with the most. Vulnerability is not my jam. Now, this is not suggesting that every time you sin, you tell someone. That would be exhausting and you'd have no friends. Also, what else would you do with your life, right? This, this means there should be no such thing as a sin you keep secret. That's what James is getting at. There should be no such thing as a private struggle with an area or an aspect of sin that only God knows about. This is talking about those things that we tend to tuck away and say, my business is my business, your business is your business. I don't want anybody to know my business, at least not that. And if you're anything like me, then you know that there are a whole lot of sins that I have no problem admitting to people. But there are areas I don't want anybody to know about like mm, mm, mm. hey pray for me uh struggling with pride hey man brother we'll pray but if you start escalating and getting to other specific taboo areas it's like mm, mm -mm. we're not going to talk about that one If you're anything like me. James would say admit that sin to another believer. Uh, It doesn't mean you go telling everybody that sin. But there should be at least one or two. And uh, hopefully a few more people. That you trust enough. And you keep no sin secrets from them. God knows, and so do they. Confess your sins to one another, especially the ones you are most prone to hide. Um, Man, early in this passage, James makes a statement. He says, the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Like, huh. And then he gets to this verse, and he says, and the prayer of the righteous... It's powerful and effective. And I've wrestled through that. Like, so is that two different things? What's the difference between the prayer of faith and the the prayer of the righteous? What's the difference between the prayer of faith and the prayer of the righteous? And the more I look at these, you know what I think? It's not two different things. It's the same thing. The prayer of faith is the prayer of the righteous. And you know what I think? Uh, To pray in faith means I come to God believing he is a big God. He is bigger than any obstacle. He's bigger than any impossibility. He's bigger than any powerlessness. He needs only say the word. So big is my God. So great is my God. That's what praying in faith means. I believe he can move any obstacle anytime he wants. That's the prayer of faith. My God is so big. 
James says, oh yeah? Then confess your sin to someone else. Nope. Nope. No, I'm not doing that. Why not, buddy? Well, because do you know what they would think about me? If I told them, they would start to view me a certain way. They would look down on me. They would discriminate against me a certain way. They might judge me. They might even leave me. They might abandon me. But what they would think about me, ooh, I can't handle that. I'm good with God knowing, but I'm not good with somebody else knowing. Oh. So what you are saying then is... Somebody else is bigger than God. Yeah, I'm good with God knowing. I just don't want them to know. And you know what I think God says to us? Like, then have them move the obstacle. Because you've clearly determined they're the ones to worry about. They're the, if you really have faith in God as big, you will say, I've confessed to God. I'm not concerned about what you think. He's already forgiven me. I think faith and righteousness is the same thing. Righteousness is just a demonstration of my faith in a big God. So if you say, no, I'll tell God I'm good with that, but I won't tell somebody else. God will say, you don't have faith in me. You have faith in your reputation. You have faith in the opinion of these people. So have them fix you. Have them move whatever the obstacle is. You want to know one of the reasons I don't think we see mountains moved in answer to prayer? I think it's because we'd rather be impressive than see God do the impossible. I'd rather you thought a certain way of me than God actually did something powerful in our midst. In fact, if you ask some of us, if you ask some of us, I think we would acknowledge There is an obstacle in my life that is impossible. There's a storm in my world that's bearing down. Okay. What if I told you God would move it as you practice confessing that area of secret struggle to somebody else? You know that there's some of us who'd be like, "Ah, did I say the storm was unbearable? I mean, I'm learning to cope. I'm learning to cope. We would rather have our storm than see a breakthrough, if that's what it means, for many of us. And we wonder why we keep talking about God could do big things, and and the power of prayer, and, and the breakthrough God wants to bring. And yet he says, great, here's something I'm asking you to practice with one another, if you want to see me touch down and move in your midst. Now, this doesn't guarantee God will always answer the prayer the way we want him to. And this doesn't mean if he doesn't answer the prayer, then there must be some secret sin in my life. No, those two things are not always connected. But what we do know is for the person who's practicing confession vertically and horizontally, we are best positioned to see God move in power. And isn't that in and of itself worth saying, I'm going to give it a shot? So I don't know about you, but, but that's the question. Are there people in your life From whom you keep no secrets. They know what's really happening in your relationship. They know what's really happening online. They know what's really happening when you travel for business. They know what's really happening in your your mind. They know what's really happening with that substance. 
This is a beautiful invitation. And I think we just live in a culture in which we fear so much of judgment. And yet the beauty of living in a community is, man, having people that we trust. Because the way this verse ends is saying, hey, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And watch God heal that area that you've been struggling in secret over. And watch God start to heal other areas of your life, but he wants you to, to, to bring them out into the open. And I know I've struggled in, in darkness and in quiet in so many regards, and I want to grow more and more and more in trusting people around me. But more than that, in trusting God who said, this is how I want you to live in community with other people. Some of you are on the verge, I'm telling you right now. And he's inviting you to step on over into a whole new dimension by simply inviting someone else in to places from which you've kept them out. And for some of us, he's inviting us just back into the practice of regularly confessing to him. We've become so okay with our sin that we don't think it's a big deal, so we don't even bring it up with him. This too shall pass. And your prayer is powerless. I wonder what he may be stirring you to. But here's what I'll say. If you don't have folks in your life that you'd say, I can talk to them openly and honestly. Uh, We would love to help you connect. And even over the next number of weeks, as you hear us talk about this, we would encourage you to say yes to stepping into those environments. And let me say something discouraging as we end. Praise the Lord. Um, If you think which I did, like I remember the first time I I just gained the courage and I stepped across and I said, I want you brothers to know that I've been struggling with it. Ah! And then everyone in there like, oh, for real? Me too. Yeah, oh, I thought I was alone. Oh, for real? Oh, you thought you, which is the lie the enemy loves to keep us in private and in secret, just weak and defeated. But I remember that time I'm like, okay, God, I did it. Whew, bucket list. Then the next week I'm like, hey, brothers, I'm back. This is not going to be something you do once. This is going to be the way we engage one another. And if it's not something in one season, it may be something else. But this is the practice through which the Lord frees us and the Lord purifies us and the Lord empowers us to live more and more like Jesus. I wonder what your first step might be this morning. Let me say this before I pray. There's some of you in this room that may have an immovable obstacle. Uh, I would love to invite the elders who are in the room to please come to the front at the end of the service. And if you're just saying, I'm in a situation where I need somebody to pray for a breakthrough or pray for a miracle, we would love to, 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 to just take this scripture literally And instead of the elders coming to your house, I'm like, hey, we're all in the house together. Uh, Come on forward and have somebody pray for you. I'd encourage you, though, as you do that, if there's an area the Spirit is convicting you that you need to confess, start there, even as you make your way out to the front. I know some of the elders, like, pack oil. Like, they're, like, they're packing oil somewhere, which is legal um, in our county. And so don't be surprised if you get dabbed uh, by a little something in keeping with this scripture. But we want to believe God to do what God wants to do. We want to believe for God's best. But it's oftentimes calling us to take a step across the threshold of what's comfortable. Are you in? Father, I pray that you would do great things in us and among us and through us as we take difficult steps in trusting you. And... um, We pray for that even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.